When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Try settle again. Shoots and scores. There's 50 from the right circle. Harris in the pocket. He's throwing. He's going down the rail. He's got a man open. It is complete. And he's going the distance. Inside the five. Touchdown Eskimos. Ricky Collins Jr. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. On the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. The Edmonton Oilers will host the Philadelphia Flyers tomorrow night. The Flyers in Calgary today. That game coming up at 7 o'clock. One of seven games on the NHL schedule. Already underway early in the second period. The Lightning lead the Canadians 3-1. Stamkos has his fourth of the season. And the Wild and the Maple Leafs in a 1-1 tie about four and a half minutes into the second period. John Tavares is second of the season for the Maple Leafs. Houston beating the New York Yankees 4-1 this afternoon in Game 3 of the ALCS. The Astros go up 2-1 in that series. Just underway in Washington, the former Expos in a scoreless tie with St. Louis, the former Expos, with a chance to move on to the World Series. So the Oilers Flyers tomorrow, by the way, that's a 7.30 start tomorrow night. 7.30 start, so our face-off show will be at 6 o'clock here on 6.30. Chet, also a home game for the Oilers on Friday when they take on Detroit. Bye week for the Eskimos after clinching that playoff spot against BC on the weekend. We do have the Eskimos coaches show from 7.30 to 8 with Jason Moss and Morley Scott. So the Oilers Five and one out of the gate. Couldn't figure it out last night against the Chicago Blackhawks. Chicago, the better team, especially in the second period where they dominated, got the lead, outshot Edmonton 17-6. Mike Smith holding the Oilers into the game, uh, got caught a little out of the net on the second goal. Edmonton with a late power play goal to make it interesting, but they, they could not pull even. Still, five of six out of the gate for the Oilers. Pretty good start. A lot of tracks still to cover. After six games, I would like to address six questions surrounding the Edmonton Oilers. And, of course, you can participate in this discussion by texting 630-630 or by using your telephone to dial 780-496-0063. Question number one. This is a big one. Can the Oilers keep it up on the penalty kill? And the simple answer is, well, of course not. That's crazy. Because they're at 95% which is superhuman on the penalty kill so far. But if you want to be optimistic about the penalty kill, and I just just for a little bit of reference, I looked at the percentages for the best penalty kill in the league over the last three years, and basically it's right around 85%. There was, you know, the three teams last year were right at 85 uh, there was an 85.8 from a couple years ago. There was an 84.5. So basically, 
if you finish around 85%, you should have one of the best penalty kills in the league. And you should give yourself a pretty good chance to get into the postseason. So that's the goal I'm going to set for the Edmonton Oilers and the number I'm going to keep an eye on. Can they be around 85%, say 83 to 87, once they play more games and things even out a little bit? Sure, they're going to have a game eventually where they're going to maybe give up two, even three power play goals. That'll knock the percentage down a little bit. But can they be an 85% penalty kill team over the course of the season? If they do, they're going to shave off a ton of goals against compared to last year. I mean, let's face it, out of the gate with the Oilers being at 95%, they have a, a, a chance, at least looking early here, they have a chance to go from a bottom three penalty kill in the NHL to a top three penalty kill in the NHL. That would be a massive improvement. So that is my question number one. Can they keep it up on the penalty kill? Ties into the goaltending, ties into face-offs, ties into coaching, ties into playing with a little bit of energy on the PK. We're going to talk to Kelly Rudy about that in the next half hour of the show. Former NHL goaltender, now a broadcaster with Rogers, who would have had uh, a look at a lot of penalty kills, both as a player and a broadcaster, what he likes to see from the penalty kill. But that's my, my first question for the Oilers. That is a huge success story out of the gate. A huge success story out of the gate because that would have been one of my three biggest questions coming into the season. Can they keep it up? All right, so we'll focus on that as we move along. Number two of my six questions after six games. Will the Oilers get support scoring? Now, this has not been a success story so far this season. Even though they have a good record, even though they have a good record, they have not had the bottom six, and and as Rob Brown has often called it on our broadcast, it's really a bottom eight because I think they, they were pretty comfortable playing Patrick Russell when needed. I still think they're relatively comfortable throwing Gaetan Haas back into the lineup. And who knows, maybe we see those guys tomorrow night against the Flyers. The Oilers did not practice today after getting back from Chicago, so they're going to have a morning skate tomorrow and we'll get a sense of the, uh, of the lines. But will they get support scoring? Last season, Leon Dreisaitl got to 50, McDavid got to 40, Nuge almost got to 30. Those three young men combined to score 52% of the Oilers' goals. Three guys scored 52% of the team's goals last season. Well, out of the gate this year, what has happened? Okay, Nugent Hopkins hasn't scored, but the three leading goal scorers on the team are Neal with eight, McDavid with four, Dreisaitl with four. Those three top scorers this year have combined to score just under 70% of the team's goals. Now, again, that's going to even out a little bit as we move throughout the season, but that's not a positive sign early. Well, the the wins are a positive sign. The results are a positive sign. But, you know, Neal historically has been a very good shooter, but like a lot of offensive players, he goes through dry stalls. I mean, I, I talked about this last week. When he joined Vegas, he had six goals in the first four games. So he, you know, he's he can score in bunches, and he's done that so far the, for for the Oilers. Now I'm going to talk. He's another one of my questions, and I'll talk about some of his stats and trends as we move along here. Uh, but the only goal from a bottom six player this year, Joachim Nygaard a four-on-four goal against Los Angeles. So at five-on-five, a bottom-eight player has not scored. 
So my first question was about the penalty kill, and you give a lot of those guys credit. You know, certainly Leon's been killing. Nugent Hopkins has been killing a little bit. McDavid, occasionally, they've thrown him out at the end a couple of times. But it's been a lot of Shan, Archibald, guys like that on the PK, and they've been doing their job. They really, really want to hit a home run this year. Those players will have to score. And we're not talking about scoring every second game. Here's the, here's the thing. If you're a bottom eight player for the Oilers and you get a goal every seven to ten games, then then you got a chance to hit double digits. If if they all do that, you're rounding out the scoring a little bit. We haven't really seen it yet, six games into the season. Um, so credit for, for killing the penalties. But And you know what? And to be fair, credit for the zone time. Because last year, the Oilers' bottom six players weren't even forechecking. Sometimes the wingers with Nugent Hopkins weren't even forechecking. And I wouldn't say he has great five-on-five wingers with Neil and Yurcho, but perhaps a little bit more dangerous because of Neil's shot. Yurcho can move a little bit. He has a couple of nice assists this season. But it is an improvement because last year, the the bottom two lines would rarely even get zone time and grind down the other team a little bit. We've seen some good shifts from Shane, from Kara, from Archibald. So, you know, Patrick Russell, Chason's made some good plays down low. So we've seen improvement in that area. But if you're going to be a very good team or maybe even a great team, those guys got to score. They they, they got to score more often. Well, more often than never would be nice. So so we'll, we'll see how that develops as we move on throughout the season. Question number three. Six games into the season. Well, you know what? They got. T- I'll read this text here. Uh, this person says the support players don't score because they don't get any ice time. Uh, or is it the other way around? Do they not get any ice time because they're not close enough to scoring? Yesterday, they did not get a lot of ice time. There have been some games where they, they've got, you know what, I, if I would have known you were going to write that, I would have got all the ice times. But just off memory, I mean, Settles had two games where he's basically at 27 minutes. One right at 27. He was at 26.59 yesterday. Uh, McDavid played a lot yesterday. Uh, but, I, I, you know, it's not like Tippett's only using those players five or six, seven minutes a game. Yesterday, the ice times were quite low because I don't think he felt like those guys were, were generating enough. But, but I don't think that the ice time distribution has been unusually skewed against the bottom six players, personally. But, that, you know, fair comment. This texture says, as long as the bottom six is keeping the play out of our zone, then they are bringing energy. Who cares if they aren't scoring? We have top six guys getting paid to score, doing their jobs. How do people expect guys to play 8 to 12 minutes a night to get on the score sheet when scoring chances are rare for the time they are even on the ice? Keep the puck out of our own end and let the top six score. It is, uh, it is simple. I think they got to score a little bit, guys. I, I mean, they, they can't. And we don't know how it's going to go this way. Maybe tomorrow every line will get a goal and it'll all be happy. But, I mean, what, who, who was a player that was highly complained about last season? Toby Reeder, because he had a zero in the goal column. So, it, 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 yes, they, they are doing a better job not being hemmed in. They do a better job forechecking. I'm talking about, and this is a luxury because the team's doing well, it, but I'm talking about taking the next, the next step. And that is, and and look, that's why those guys were signed. Holland said that uh, for sure. He wanted, you know, speed. He wanted some grinding. And Tippett says he likes to have a heavy line and a speed line in the bottom six. 
Absolutely. But Holland also signed guys that he thought could hit double digits and goals. Granlin and Archibald uh, leading the way in that category. And Archibald did have a great chance yesterday, was, wasn't able to finish. So I, I, can't, I can't totally agree with those texts coming in, that it's just about ice time and, it, and it's only about not giving up goals. Because you, you have to be... I mean, look, yes, yesterday, if if one of those lines gets a goal, it's 2-2 and probably goes to overtime as opposed to the Oilers being down 2-1 late and giving up the empty goal to, to go 3-1. So so that's that's why I feel that way. I understand what you're saying. Um, but they, they have to they have to contribute a little bit. I mean you can't here here's 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 the thing guys. We often we often offensive players, you know, if, if Leon Dreisaitl misses a back checker or Connor doesn't tie up his guy in front like he didn't like he didn't with Kopitar earlier this season. Like the offensive guys get hammered. Well, why didn't they check? Why didn't they play defense? But I don't think you can let the the other players off the hook for never providing offense. Like it's 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 a team game and everybody has to do a little bit of everything. So I don't think you can just I, I don't think you can to me, it's a double standard. If you criticize an offensive guy for never for not checking well enough, but you let a, a more of a grinder player off the hook off the hook because he never scores. I mean, you have to score occasionally. And what did Dave Tippett say several times? Both teams in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final in June started their fourth lines. And yes, for energy, but also because those lines could could chip in offensively. Anyway. Good discussion. You can text 63630. Phone number is 780-496-0063. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, uh, get through the rest of my six questions for the Oilers after six games when we get back. Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. Leafs with two goals just over a minute apart. They go ahead of the Wild 3-1 with nine minutes left in the second period. And bottom of the first, already 2-0 for the Nationals ahead of the Cardinals. They are still batting, bases loaded with one out as the Nationals try to finish that one off and move on to the World Series. Some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down South Comfort Food to Edmonton with their creative take on Southern Classics, spun with a modern twist. You can get them online, northchickenyeg.com. All right, my six questions for the Oilers after six games. Number three, how's the goaltending going to be divided? So far, it's been two Smith, two Koskinen, two Smith. Smith, excellent yesterday against Chicago. Best oiler in the game. Uh, will Tippett keep going with that? Are they going to avoid giving a guy too many in a row and go back to Koskinen? That is another question. Number four. This is a fun one. How many goals will James Neal score? He has passed his total from last season. With eight. His shooting percentage is on steroids. 
38.1%. Okay, so that will not be maintained. But his career average shooting percentage, right around 12. His career average shots per game, right around 3. If he gets 240 shots and shoots 12%, he will approach 30 goals. That would be pretty good. Obviously, he's already got eight. So reason for optimism there. I think with the Oilers' power play, with who Neal has him setting up on the power play, uh, we could see, I mean, six of his eight goals on the power play. I mean, here's a question. I should have put this as a question. I'll put this as a sub-question. If I really want to be optimistic, can James Neal get 20 goals on the power play alone? Can you imagine that? I, I remember when the, the, the trade happened, uh, a, a listener wrote in and said, Reed, I'm setting the uh, over-under on goals for James Neal at 17.5. And, and I said, That's, that sounds very fair. If he gets in the high, te- high teens or low 20s, that's a pretty successful acquisition for the Oilers. If he gets, you know, 15-ish, okay, could have been better. And if he's getting 10, 8, 12, not very good. Could he get, okay, let's let's put 17.5 now on Neal's power play goals. That's going to be fun to watch. But again, like he had a, a horrific shooting percentage last year with Calgary, just around 5. So if he can shoot back around 12% like he has most of his career and approach three shots a game, he, he might get close to 30. So keep that in mind. Question number five, when it gets bad, how bad will it get? <laughs> You know, we got to remember last year, the, the Oilers started 0-2, and there was a lot of doom and gloom, but by game 13, they were 8-4-1. That's not a bad 13-game stretch to the season. Todd McClellan got fired. They went 9-2-2 two two, their first 13 games under Hitch. That's pretty good. They had a stretch in February and March where they went 7-2-2. Two two. Pretty good 11-game stretch. What was the problem last year? Well, they had a six-game stretch without a win. They had two five-game stretches without a win, and they had another segment where they lost six out of seven. So they're five and one. That is great. There's nothing wrong with going three and three in your next six games. It's not sexy, but it, it keeps you, you know, above water. But they can't have a, now a six-game stretch where they go one and five or one four and one or zero oh and six because then you undo all the good you, you've done, and that's what they did last year when they did have a good little burst. I mean, look, if you said before the season you're going to have a stretch of eight four and one, another one of nine two and two, and another one of seven two and two, well, that's sixteen games above five hundred right there. So then you think, geez, if we're five hundred the rest of the season, we got ninety-eight points, and that's that's pretty good. But the Oilers were so bad when they were bad they couldn't overcome those those bad spots. And my sixth question, just for fun, can McDavid and Dreisaitl finish 1-2 in league scoring? They're tied for first right now, 12 points in six games. The last teammates to top the scoring race in the lockout-shortened 2013 season, San Luis and Stamkos for the Lightning. The last teammates to do it over the course of a full season, 95-96, Lemieux and Yager with the Penguins. Mario had 161 points. Yager had a meager 149. All right, we got a break for the 632. It's Kelly Rudy when we get back.
Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Mark Shifley has scored on the power play. Six minutes left in the first period. Jets leading the Coyotes 1-0. Lightning still up 3-1 on the Canadians. Late second period. Also late in the second period. Now 4-1 Toronto leading Minnesota. All four goals scored in the second period for the Buds in that game. Baseball, it is 7-0 Washington over St. Louis at the end of the first inning. So St. Louis had a 10-run first inning against Atlanta. They've now given up a 7-run first inning against Washington. If the Nationals win, they are off to the World Series. Looking pretty good, 7-0 after the first. Houston earlier beat the Yankees 4-1 to go up 2-1 in that best of seven. The Oilers uh, did not practice today. Morning skate tomorrow. They play Philadelphia tomorrow night. We have it for you on 6.30, Chad. 6 o'clock for the face-off show, and the game will start at 7.30. Bye week for the Eskimos. Playoffs coming up in the Prairie Football Conference. The Edmonton Wildcats will go to Saskatoon. Going to be a tough matchup there. The Hilltops finished first 8-0 on the regular season. The Edmonton Huskies, 6-2, will go to Regina to face the 6-2 Prairie Thunder. Before we get to Kelly Rudy, we have Grant on the line. Grant, go ahead. Hey, Grant, go ahead. Oh, Reed, are you there? Yeah, go ahead, Grant. Yeah, we started off to a good year this year, the Oilers. I'm really happy with how they played so far. But I'm wondering, is there any sort of lingering concern that we haven't been able to get out ahead of the games? We've always been fighting behind, and I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, it, you score first, you win about two-thirds of the time. Uh, and then they've, you know, they've been tied after the third period in most of their games. They they came from behind at some point to win, to win those five games to get to five and zero. Oh. Yeah, I think they would like to start better. I guess the good news to that is that they've stayed within a goal and that they haven't let giving up a goal cripple their hope for the whole night. But yes, you you can't keep falling behind. That's not a great formula long term. Sound good? Okay, perfect. Okay. Thanks, Reed. Yeah. See you, Grant. But but I but I will say you 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 got to survive bad things in games, and I think we're talking about this a lot more because it it's happened at the start of the season, and it's it's a little more magnified at the start of the year because it's all you have to go on. I mean, if the Oilers were having a good year and then 40 games in had a five game winning streak where they trailed in every game, it would still be pointed out and it would still be pretty cool, but it, it gets a little more attention because it's it, it's early in the season, but. Not not great that they've fallen behind, but a good thing that they haven't let just giving up a goal ruin their whole night. And we saw that a lot last year. They couldn't recover from sometimes even giving up one. Former NHL goaltender Kelly Rudy, now a broadcaster with Rogers, joins us every week on Inside Sports. He is a pleasure to have on the program. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm back in Calgary for the week before I head back to Toronto and then... Uh... I have a couple more games next week, but I'm really looking forward to the outdoor game in Regina the following weekend between Calgary and uh, Winnipeg. Those outdoor, those whether it's the uh, Heritage Classic or whatever, whichever games, those are just so fun to be a part of and uh, experience that whole environment. Now you got to play in the in the game in Vegas where you got attacked by locusts. Did you did you ever play in any of the? <laughs> you, you didn't play in any other outdoor games, or did you? Uh, I didn't. I'm trying to 
recall, I don't believe I played in any other outdoor games. I've broadcast a number of them. Uh, one of my favorites, of course, was uh, the game between the LA Kings and the Anaheim Ducks Stadium. And uh, it was Mark Lee and I broadcasting it. And one of my favorite things, uh, we interviewed Vin Scully for about 10 minutes during the start of the second period. And I'm thinking, and then we let him go. And I'm thinking, why didn't we have Vince Scully for the entire second period? It was, it was magical. He's one of the all-time best broadcasters, an amazing voice, an amazing story. And I was just sitting there thinking, I just can't believe my luck. I'm, I'm here beside Vince Scully. Oh, that's amazing, man. That would have been awesome. Yeah, you couldn't have had him for long enough. Absolutely. That is some good stuff. Well, good to have exactly. you on the show again. The Oilers 5-1 uh, and one out of the gate. Pretty good start despite the, last night, uh, the loss last night to the Chicago Blackhawks. One of the stories, Kelly, has been the Oilers' penalty killing. It's 95%, 19 out of 20 to start the season after being horrible the last, the, the last two years. You know, I, I'm wondering, you know, you, you played goal. you got to have, have, a, have a good goaltender to have good penalty killing. But from your position when you were in the net, what did you appreciate most about a, a, a pen, the penalty killer? What, what made a good penalty killer as a teammate? Well, before I get into what makes a great penalty kill, um, I'm going to just say that there are times in a game that can, uh, moments in a game, plays in a game that can change the course of the, uh, the game itself and really affect the outcome. And I always felt penalty kill can give you that opportunity. Not only does your team get a massive boost after a big kill, but it's uh, momentum draining for the team that's on the power play in particular if they don't get many chances. And so I've always thought that that's uh, an area in which you've got to work on a lot. <clears throat> uh, in today's game, I'm sure you're noticing with the Oilers uh, and I'm looking around the league, if you if you really trust your teammates, you can be really aggressive on the penalty kill, and, and by that I mean trying to stand up as soon as you can at your own blue line, so the other team doesn't get the entry, uh, they don't get set up, all the usual things. You got to have a good stick. But going back to my day, uh, it was a lot different, um, and we didn't block as many shots. But uh, I, I think of some guys that played on the Oilers early on. Uh, and Gretzky and Curry were amazing penalty killers, and they scored a ton of points that way as well. They were frightening to play against because all those great offensive instincts, they took away uh, a lot of the chances that power play was trying to generate. And then uh, the Oilers, of course, had maybe one of the best shot blockers in the league at that time with Craig McTavish. But I'm thinking my time on the Islanders, I'm going, boy, did we ever have some penalty killers like Butch Goring, one of the all-time best. Uh, a guy by the name of Anders Caller that you uh, may or may not re- remember. He was a fantastic penalty killer. Billy Carroll played for both the Islanders and the Oilers. Dennis Potvin because he, he owned the front of the net. Other things that uh, really stand out to me um, when you're on the PK, if you are the defender and you get your stick on the puck, boy, it better be out. And I always hated when guys were uh, either soft or lazy. They had a chance to get the puck down the ice, and they they weren't uh, strong enough on it. And, and that'll kill you. And, that, you know, it's an old cliche, but oftentimes that does directly lead to scoring chances and or goals uh, by the uh, power play. So a lot of things that go into it, but, uh, you know, I just think it's, it's all about creating or taking away energy on the special teams. Well, I, I love how you you put that. And, you know, Hitch had a stat last year that there were, I, I think he said, eight or nine goals 
that opposing teams scored on the power play in the last three minutes of a period. And, and you talk about being deflated because if you give up a power right. play goal late in the period, you, you don't really have chance to re- a chance to respond or get any energy back from it. And uh, a lot of key kills for the Oilers. Uh, the Oilers, this, I mean, the, the game against L.A., they had to kill off 47 seconds right at the end of the game to preserve the one-goal lead. So, yeah, they're doing it, and also when they're doing it has been really big. Yeah, and, you know, another thing that we've always recognized for over 100 years is that, man, you're just – it seems as though it kills you when a guy takes a bad penalty and then the other team scores. It just, it, it's right. You can just feel the energy leaving the bench. And so it's really, really important if you are going to take a penalty, it just can't be a hooking or holding penalty, especially in the offensive zone. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports, our weekly guest, former NHL goaltender, now broadcaster. Penalty kill, good story for the Oilers. One of the concerns, though, going into the season is still a concern and that is the lack of depth scoring. Last year, Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, and McDavid scored over half the goals. This year, Neil McDavid and Dreisaitl have scored over two-thirds of the goals. Now, I know these percentages are going to even out as uh, as the years goes on, but we've talked about you know guys like Archibald, Grandlin, uh, Chase on. I know, I know you like the Archibald signing. He had a great chance yesterday. Yeah. But they got, they got to finish. I mean, it's great they've been grinding, but if the Oilers are going to be... I think they can be a good team the way that bottom six is playing. If they're going to be a very good team, those guys got to find the net a little more. It seems like it's a league-wide epidemic. Um, I'm looking at a lot of really good teams out there that aren't getting a lot of scoring from uh, the guys on the bottom six of their uh, forwards. And, you know, even really good players are struggling right now. And I don't know if it's contracts. Like, I'm thinking of a guy like Marner in Toronto. He's not had the same impact. And, uh, you know, he is going to score. But uh, you look at the Calgary Flames, that's what they're talking about, too. So very similar to the Oilers. Got to find a way to get everybody involved. It's great to get scoring chances, but, you know, the fact of the matter is to get real confidence, you've got to put a few in. And so a guy like Archibald, because he's not going to get nearly as many chances as Dreisaitl and McDavid, when they go in, it's a... It's a special feeling for him, and if they don't go in, then twofold, he gets down on himself and he feels like he's letting the team down. And so, you know, I've watched uh, guys like that struggle for a long time, and it's happening right now in Calgary. Some guys, uh, well, most of the guys, other than their top four players, are not scoring at all. You talk about an emotional lift from killing a penalty. Is there an emotional lift from a depth player or a grinder getting a goal? And look, there's nothing as momentum changing in hockey as a goal, and they're all only worth one. But if you know a guy breaks a long slump, or if a guy's been checking really hard and then and then gets a goal, does does that do something to the energy of the team? It does. Uh, I was always really happy, and I think you could always tell uh, throughout the lineup who's really liked, because a guy that maybe doesn't get the minutes or the credit that uh, he deserves, but if he chips in, uh, everybody's, you know, on the bench patting him, they're laughing, everybody's having a great time because they recognize the contribution he's made, and when he gets rewarded, it's a, it's a really good feeling, and, you know, he, he's going to get chirped in the dressing room between periods and all those sorts of things, so it's, it's, uh, it's an important thing for uh, team building and, and just trying to make everybody feel included. All right. Well, hopefully uh, some of those guys for the Oilers will start lighting the lamp a little bit. Kelly, always great to have you on the show. Have a good broadcast tonight, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, thanks, Reed. Talk to you soon. 
All right, that is Kelly Rudy. Always great to have him on Inside Sports. It is 6.45. You can text 6.36.30. Our open line is 780-496-0063. The Eskimos on a bye. We do have the Coaches Show with Moss and Morley at 7.30 and our weekly installment of King's Court when we get back. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by Cam LLP Injury Lawyers, representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. Always happy to hear from the Big L on the text line. He says, Reed, a long time ago, I put myself through university working as a waiter. This was during the Oilers' golden age, so I was well aware of one Kelly Rudy. I love the web because stats on players from that era are so readily available. For instance, I can find Kelly's goals against average, 3.43, ouch, and save percentage, 893. But why can't I find his AT percentage, average tipping percentage? Kelly didn't inform us about any restaurants he's visited today. We'll have to get to that next week. Time for King's Court with Ryan King, presented by Dynasty Builders, designing the custom home of your dreams, available now exclusively in Landrex communities. King's Court on 630. I'm your host, Ryan King. Today, I'm bringing on the third and final specialist of the group, Hugh O'Neill, number 70, punter kicker. Hugh, let's start off with some exciting news that has happened in your world. Let's tell us uh, about what's come up. Well, exciting news for me is I had a first son born uh, about two months ago, back on August 4th. And uh, yeah, just living a new dad life now and uh, adapting to that, which has been awesome. A few uh, less sleepless nights, but uh, but it's all it's all worth it. Uh, and it's a very interesting story. So you had an unfortunate injury in the Calgary game uh, on the Labor Day game, and then you had to go home because you were injured. And then what happened? Yeah, so my wife actually came down to the Calgary game to watch it. Uh, it wasn't Labor Day. It was the, the first August game there. Yeah, I got hurt in the game. My plan was to go out there with her to Canmore that night. Couldn't go because I hurt my knee. She went out to Canmore. I went back to Edmonton and then got back there and got the call that uh, she basically started going to labor while in Canmore. She had to get uh, ambulance back to Calgary. I had to hop back in my car and drive right back down to Calgary and met her in Calgary at about 4.30 in the morning and our little baby Patrick was born at 8.30. So, uh, the greatest thing that happened to you ever. Well, that's awesome. Congrats on being the new dad as well. Some renovations going on at the Hugh household. Yeah, no, with the, with the new guy, we're uh, planning on expanding the, the household a little bit, so we, uh, we're building a new house coming up here, so just demoed the old one. Um, still got the our old house right now, but we, uh, yeah, it was, it was just getting used to the next little while. It's going to be a bit of a uh, bit of cabinet shopping and uh, appliance shopping and all that fun stuff. It's going to be pretty pretty constant for the next little while here, but excited for it. A little Bed Bath & Beyond will be going on on uh, Hughes' days off here. Uh, eighth year in the CFL now. You've been to BC, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, Hamilton, back to the City of Champs. Uh, how much does it mean for you to be going through your career and then coming back to Edmonton? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge deal for me to be back in Edmonton, my hometown. Uh, when I left Edmonton back um, a few years ago, it was uh, it was tough leaving here, um, but this opportunity was to play was uh, too good to pass up. Um, but, you know, I've been very fortunate that, you know, things just worked out the way they have to bring me back to where I really want to, you know, play my career and uh, to get to be home, with, especially now having a new uh, new baby boy at home. Like, it's huge to be able to play here in front of hometown fans and in front of my home city. So, And I specialists play forever, so hopefully when your kid's like five or 
five or six years old, uh, he'll be able to watch Daddy uh, hitting bombs down on the field. Uh, you're having a career year this year. What's uh, some of the things that you changed in the offseason to be so successful this year? Uh, I wouldn't say it changed too much. You know, it's just consistency. It's uh, building on the things from last year. Last year, I actually managed to have my first, you know, full season staying healthy and just having that going into the offseason and then just being able to build on that coming into this season. Having consistency of, you know, you and Sean around, um, just having that crew locked down uh, makes it so much easier to come in and just do your job the best of your abilities and just build on previous success. Uh, you know they have that uh, kind of saying, uh, snappers just snap the ball, kickers just kick the ball. Um, how much, you know, mental focus goes into when you are actually in the game trying to kick the ball? There's uh, a lot of moving parts that go on. Just give a quick rundown for the fans' perspective of uh, what goes to your head when you're uh, heading out on the field. Yeah, I try and keep it as simple as possible. It's really easy to get focused on um, a lot of environmental conditions. I just try and know what the wind's doing a little bit, maybe check to see where the returner is on the field. And after that, I'm just sort of dialed into waiting for the snap. Um, and then just trying to go through my progression and just be as smooth as possible. Um, depending on how the game's going, you focus on different little things, but you just try and keep it as simple as possible when you're out there and try not to focus on, you know, the stuff that's not really going to matter. If you try to focus on too many things, you're going to end up, you know, missing the important stuff. So now, I want to break down this whole specialist thing. Uh, why do you think that we're called specialists? You get the offensive players in multi-positions, defensive players in multi-positions. Why do we get said to be specialists? Are we special? Do, do we do something special? Or what do you think it is? That's a good question. Honestly, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, everyone's pretty specialized in their role in the football team. It's kind of interesting that we're called the specialists, but, you know, the special teams kind of aspect of it. But, you know, maybe it's because we're the only ones doing what we're doing on the field for the most part. So, like, you know, there is only one of us kind of each doing what we're doing. That's my really only guess. But, uh, you know, every one of these athletes out here is pretty specialized in what they're doing. So I think they can all qualify. I like to think it is that they just think we are just special people and they, uh, this is a way to just leave us alone. We're out here at practice. Uh, we're out here doing stuff on our own. We're always working. Hugh's always working, uh, getting better every day. Quick things, uh, post-career. You got an economics degree. You're into web development now. What are you going to do post-career? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm trying to work on a few things. But, yeah, I have my economics degree, which is there um, from U of A. And then right now I'm working on uh, website design and development. Um, it's kind of a field that I've sort of found. Uh, my dad kind of works in that field as well as a programmer. Um, so something I sort of can do on the side and I've enjoyed doing just sort of, you know, side projects right now. And then maybe post career, being able to just build off that and maybe find some, uh, find some trials around town. Nice. Uh, let's go into a couple, couple little hobbies. You're a video game player. Uh, what kind of games do you get into these days? Uh, yeah, I've been playing, playing too many vids since I was like probably eight years old, but, uh, you know, I guess my mind out football and life a little bit. So I play a hell of my buds and we play, uh, right now the big games for us are a little bit of NHL and uh, a little bit of PUBG is, uh, what we're big into on the Xbox. And I bet you it's going to be awesome when Patrick is of age where then you can now play some video games with him and show him what dad uh, really does with his spare time. Uh, the other interesting thing, and I have this same little hobby, gardening. We uh, we found our uh, gardening niche together a couple years ago here. Uh, what did you grow this year and uh, how did your, uh, your, your harvest turn out? Yeah, gardening is definitely one of those uh, love-hate things that you, but uh, it's only our third year since we moved into our last house that we put some garden beds in and uh, I enjoy it. It's a reason to get outside in the backyard. This year we uh, grew some tomatoes, some carrots, uh, some lettuce, kale, um, spaghetti squash actually grew really nicely this year. Radishes are a nice easy one to grow. Um, I like to grow some hot peppers too to kind of dehydrate for the winter. And those turn out pretty well. So if there's
there is someone that's never uh, had a garden before, what do you think the uh, easiest thing they should start off with? Oh, something that grows in the ground, some root vegetables. Those are the, I think those are the easiest ones I've had most success with. But uh, yeah, just throw a bunch of stuff in there, see what happens. And each year you learn a little more. And our uh, summer months are short, as uh, most gardens need to have, and that's why we like to grow things underground. But uh, that's another episode of uh, King's Corner at 630 Shed. Thank you, Hugh, for coming on the show. Stay tuned next week for another episode. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.